The Rangers are the early favorites. How do you see the matchup? Who do you like? Initially, I said I think the Rangers in seven just because of they've got home field advantage this time around and how hot Garcia has been. But the more I think about it, I like the Diamondbacks here. Mm. And the reason why is... Hey, everybody. What's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast and welcome to episode 286, where today I track down one of the very best baseball minds that I've ever spoken to, really. It works out perfectly because we watched a couple of Game 7s to set up a great World Series, so who better to run down this week than MLB Network's John Morosi? I'll answer that. Nobody. Nobody at all. If you have never caught John in the jungle, and I find that hard to believe, but if you had never heard John, you are about to be blown away. So let me just get out of the way and get right to this conversation because it is special. It is episode 286 with MLB Network broadcaster and insider John Morosi, and it's coming at you right now. My man, John Morosi. John, first of all, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you accommodating this request. You are an extraordinarily busy man. You have moved around. You made it possible for us to come together before the World Series. My God, thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing? Jim, I'm outstanding. You're the best in the business, my friend, and always love catching up about any subject in the world, especially the World Series. What a great time of year this is in sports. All right, so that's the thing. Yeah, That's why you are the best, because I can talk to you about any subject in the world. But why don't we talk some baseball? Now, John, I've been lucky enough that I've done this long enough, which means I've been fortunate enough to watch the evolution of so many careers. Tori Lovello, for instance, was a great guest on my program as a player back in the day, and that has continued now that he He's a manager of the Diamondbacks. In your opinion, how does his team reflect his upbeat and extremely positive and relentless personality? I love that question, Jim, because you're exactly right. He managed a brilliant National League Championship Series against a, an extraordinarily talented Philadelphia Phillies team and found a way to win in seven games on the road, winning the last two games of the series. And the way, Jim, that I would describe it as – that he never felt as though, even though maybe the talent on paper would suggest that they were the underdog, right, or disadvantage, he always believed there was a way. And that as long as they executed the game plan, the Diamondbacks could win the series. And he was right, just like he was right when they beat the Dodgers, just like he was right when they beat the Brewers. And at some point along the way, you have to stop describing it as a fluke and start giving credit to the way that he manages his team, gets them to believe, finds a style of play that works for them. And Jim, one of my favorite things, and I'm sure uh, the next time you have a chance to talk with Tori, this might come up in the conversation. One thing that he does to build continuity and, and positivity among front office, coaching staff, training staff, support staff, he tries to find a way to play a competitive, and I say competitive, pick up basketball game on the road in every city where he goes. And so when they were playing the Phillies, guess what? They played at the Palestra when they were in Philadelphia early on in that series. And there's nothing like finding a way that's a competitive outlet that gets you a little bit away from the field of play, but still builds culture and connection. And I just think that finding a way, even in the most intense days in October, Jim, that Tori Lovello found a way to squeeze in some time to play hoops to the palestra and get a lot of competitive 
feeling out there and also some camaraderie and joy. And I think that might have had a small thing to do with the Diamondbacks winning the National League. Boy, that, that is such an amazing anecdote right there, John. I was going to say, and you beat me to it. You answered the question. I was going to say, how is it that a team that won 84 games, that was a sixth seed coming in, knocked out the 92-win Brewers, knocked out the 100-win Dodgers, knocked out the Phillies who had a 3-2 lead, but you just explained it. And you explained in great detail how he built that culture, what he has built there, and what an amazing job he's done. You know, John, I could ask you about any number of their players, but I want to ask you about one guy in particular. We've seen Phenoms flame out, but I do not think that's going to be the case with Corbin Carroll. This season, the rookie became the first player ever to have 25 bombs, 50 bags, 10 triples, and after having only three hits, John, in the first six games, how much grit did he display in bouncing back the way he did in going three for four with a pair of runs padded in in game seven and never giving up on giving up on himself or giving in to anything? We're going to call that the Corbin Carroll game, Jim. It was that brilliant by him. It was just a, a highlight reel of all that he can do. Base running, he stole two bases, as you mentioned. Multi-hit game, three hits, of course, and clutch at bats from beginning to end. And to me, he typifies how they were able to win that win that series without getting, even in, in game seven, only one extra base hit one extra base hit in the entire game seven and they didn't even need it because he was so dynamic on the bases I, I love his his understated nature he's he's very positive he loves uh, just talking about the game great family uh, his father's a very accomplished uh, ophthalmologist doctor in the in the Seattle area his sister actually Campbell is her first name she's one of the top high school soccer recruits for the senior class this year in high school. She's going to go play at Cal next year. And, and when I've spoken with Corbin in the past, he's so supportive of Campbell and what she's doing. So a really grounded family that I think did not, for, from Corbin's perspective, the moment was not too big for him. I think he has the right amount of calmness and also intensity about him to where he plays the game with such fire and joy and athleticism. And Jim, in so many ways, he's a man perfectly suited for the way that baseball is played in 2023. This is not just a slugfest. This is a sport now, especially with the pitch timer, the, the inducements to steal more bases. This is the domain of great athletes, and Corbin Carroll is a great athlete. He is a great athlete. So, John, the moment was not too big for him or for them, and taking nothing away from Arizona, I absolutely love them, and I love what they did, but what about Philly? Was the moment, in fact, too big for them? And even if it wasn't, where do they go from here? How do you bounce back from that? Jim, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, I would say that while it was a seven-game series, this series was lost in game four. The Phillies had a late lead. Their bullpen, uh, you could have maybe second-guessed a couple moves from Rob Thompson, but when Craig Kimbrell was not able to be trusted in a big spot, uh, Orion Kirkring, a rookie who they were trusting uh, in, in really high-leverage roles in the postseason, Gregory Soto wasn't quite as consistent. When you don't have a bullpen that you can go to, it's honestly the same story we talked about with Dave Roberts for many years with the Dodgers. It, it really limits what a manager can do. And and this series was decided in game four. That was when Alec Thomas at the game tying home run off Craig Kimbrell, the, the Diamondbacks win in walk-off fashion. 
And that to me is where things really went off script from the standpoint of the Philadelphia Phillies. I think Bryce Harper had a great series. Kyle Schwarber had a great series. Obviously not a great game seven, but they they are not the reason why they lost. I think there was not enough supplemental offense from them. Uh, Alec Boehm had a big game seven, but was quiet up until then. Nick Castellanos after game one really struggled and just got completely, um, he was in the zone and then very much out of the zone that quickly. And so for me, it was a case of the depth of the Phillies not being quite what we thought it was going to be. And it's a tough result for Bryce Harper because he was one swing away and really probably a centimeter away at impact on that pitch from Kevin Ginkle in the seventh inning of game seven away from being the hero, because that very nearly was a, a go-ahead home run in the seventh inning with six outs to play. And it just barely, barely missed the barrel of his bat. And, of course, the result was what it was. And now Harper uh, still has not won a winner-take-all playoff game. He's actually hit very well when you go back to his time with the Nationals in these winner-take-all games. But at the end of the day, um, still no World Series championship for Bryce Harper. And that's going to sting. He, it's going to motivate him. I thought he accounted very well for himself during the course of the series. Came back, of course, as we know, from the elbow surgery early in, in this season. Just showed a lot of grit there. But it's going to be a tough offseason for him just because of how high his standards are for himself. Jim, and whether it's Bryce Harper now, whether it was LeBron James in the past, when you talk about the greats, they judge themselves once they've got all their individual accolades out of the way by whether or not they win a championship. And I think that's still the one thing that Bryce Harper is chasing in his career. Yeah, I think you're right. There's going to be some soul-searching, to be sure. He came so close. I mean, it's so trite, John, to say that it's a game of inches, but he could have been a hero. He got the pitch he wanted. He just missed barely. He said as much himself. Hey there, let me talk to you for a minute about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is where you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Listen, a crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinnertime recipe rut. Keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every single week, so there is always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. And with so many in-season ingredients, you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every single bite of HelloFresh's chef-crafted recipes. Produce travels from the farm to your door for peak ripeness that you can taste. Given my schedule, I absolutely love HelloFresh. I love how fresh it is. I love the options it gives me. And I know that I'm eating well and it tastes incredible. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Roam and use the code 50Roam for 50% off plus free shipping. Once again, HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Use that code 50Roam and get 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh is awesome. In fact, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Now, John, I'm sure you'd agree with this, but there are a few people that I appreciate and admire more in the sport than Bruce Bochy. What do you think that his presence meant in that first year as Rangers manager that resulted in that team putting together a World Series run? I mean, it is incredible. It really is, Jim. He is elite in his ability to relate to people, whether you're superstars or whether you're on the margins of the roster. Uh, you look at his teams in San Francisco, they reflected that very well. He also knows how to run a bullpen and a pitching staff as well or better than anybody else I've ever encountered in my career covering baseball. That goes back 20 years. He's he's 
that good. He's probably the best I've ever seen at doing that. And, and I think especially in a playoff situation, you go back to game seven of, of 2014, the Madison Bumgarner game, and being able to go off script, being able to know which right guys to go to. I think Spores had a tremendous uh, series for him in the ALCS out of the bullpen, knowing when to go to him. And then knowing how much to trust your your key guys like a Max Scherzer who didn't have uh, he wasn't fully healthy obviously so knowing what you could get from him in a game seven situation Montgomery coming out of the bullpen there's complete buy in from your guys and from the guys that you need to be the drivers of your culture, whether it's a pitching staff that features Evaldi, Scherzer, and Montgomery, whether it's a lineup that features guys like Seager or Adolis Garcia, who had an American League Championship Series for the ages. It's just an extraordinary testament to the man who's going to be a Hall of Famer without a doubt, Jim. And and Bruce Bochy, he, as soon as he took that job, he gave that imprimatur of his, of his experience of his stature in the game and the trust that players have in him. There is, there's a certain element, I think of all professional athletes, Jim, where they, where they wonder about this decision being made or would they have made the same choice? I think with Bruce Bochy, the trust that players have in him creates so little of that questioning that players have the freedom to just execute. And I think you're seeing a very focused, very free group of Texas Rangers and they certainly entered the, the playoffs in the, in the World Series now uh, this World Series has the favorites to win it all I think that's really interesting what you just said and I want to double back to that John in a moment if I could but because you mentioned the World Series and I was going to go there next it might not be the matchup that America wanted it might not be the matchup that TV executives wanted I personally love it like you said you can't fluke your way to a World Series these two teams although not expected earned it they deserve it I love it. You're right. The Rangers are the early favorites. How do you see the matchup? Who do you like? It's interesting, Jim. I was thinking about this a lot. And and I initially I said, I think the Rangers in seven, just because of they've got home field advantage this time around and how hot Garcia has been. But the more I think about it, I like the Diamondbacks here. Mm. And the reason why is their pitching coach, Brent Strom, has now brought a team to the World Series four times in a seven-year span. Of course, the first three were with the Houston Astros. And he knows the Rangers well. He opposed them for many years in the American League. Obviously, it's been a while since he's been with the Astros, but he just, he game plans so well, Jim. And I think with the way the Diamondbacks are now building confidence as a pitching group, and I think Zach Gallon is due to have a really good start. Merrill Kelly had the best start of his playoff run in game six. Brandon fought. What an amazing outing for a rookie in game seven. I just think that he will be able to find a way for the D-backs to get one of the two games in Texas. And then once that happens in games one or two, then the advantage will go and swing to the Diamondbacks. They won two out of three in their ballpark in the National League Championship Series against the Phillies. The, The Rangers have a great lineup, and Garcia is hotter now than probably anybody was on the Phillies. But they just shut down the Phillies. They just shut down the Dodgers. And so once you've done that, I, I'm not so sure that when they look at this roster, they'll say, well, we can, we can pitch to these guys. Well, we feel like we have a good game plan against them. We just were able to, to get through three really quality teams in the National League side. So while the Rangers might be the favorites, 
I believe the Diamondbacks find a way to win this series in six games that that Brandon fought will continue his emergence as a, as a young star. The bullpen of the D-backs has been extraordinary. Andrew Saul Frank struggled a little bit to locate, but when you look at Thompson, Ginkle, Seawald, again, maybe not household names, but they've pitched extraordinarily well. And I I, I think it's interesting, Jim, as you referenced the, the, the TV aspect of this, I really think we're moving to a time in in our sports landscape where, yes, still viewership matters on on linear TV, and I get that. But we're we're all about now finding ways for people to engage with your sport, engage with your product, and whether it's on social media, whether it's streaming, whether it's at the ballpark. There are ways to quantify and show that baseball is becoming a much more engaging sport uh, with young people, with even older people as well. The game's in a really good place. The, the the time of game has come down to a very manageable range. You'll have more and more kids in this country able to watch uh, the, the conclusion of a World Series game. I, I think it's going to be a really positive time for the sport, Jim, and I, I can't wait for this World Series. John, I think that point you made is so critical. It's so critical on so many different levels because, number one, for the sport itself, because you're so concerned that maybe an entire generation of younger people might miss out on the sport of baseball. Like, I love the sport of baseball. One of my favorite things, and I said this recently, John, on both of our kids who are now have left the home and I've got one who graduated college, one who just entered college. They both played baseball all the way through high school and it was some of my favorite times of my entire life. I'm glad they had that experience. They're better for it. My concern would be that an entire generation of young people might have missed baseball because the game, frankly, is a little bit longer, a little bit slower. But to your point, the way people access content right now is so different. It's not just linear TV. I'd even make the argument that as long as I've done this, I'd be no different than baseball because they get their content in different ways ways. I think that in and of itself is so important. And I agree with you. Having said that, let me go back to one more point that you made about Bruce Bochy, that he's so effective because players have almost inevitably bought in completely. Therefore, they're free to just let it go, let it rip, play the game. I would have said the same thing, John, about Bob Melvin. And especially after last year, this whole thing is just so unbelievable to me that the Padres, not only were they a major disappointment in the way they came up short, but the fact that they let Bob Melvin and go and go to a divisional rival just blows my mind. I mean, if you had to guess, and obviously you were well-sourced, exactly what happened there? How could it get to a point where you let a guy like that go to a divisional rival? It's a great question, and I think to a large extent, there was a deterioration of the relationship in the front office, period. That's that's where it starts, that I, I think A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin were no longer on the same page. And and once it got to that point, and once you felt like the working relationship wasn't going to be a good one, then it makes sense for someone, one of the two, to move on. And that was ultimately the decision that was that was reached. Uh, you're right; it is rare that it would happen in division, but you could tell there was some frustration and a disconnect between the front office and the field staff. And and that is not conducive to success, especially when you're coming off a year in which you could tell there was discordance between the the front office and and the field staff and the team underperformed expectations. It's just not a logical decision for me. If no matter what your company is, no matter if you're a baseball team or or, or you're manufacturing computers, if if the at the top level of the executive chain, if they're not getting along and there's dissonance throughout the organization, 
it's not healthy for the work environment. So you make a change. And I think ultimately that's as simple as, as a complicated situation could be. I don't believe that Bob Melvin thought it was a positive work environment from him anymore. So even though he had a contract for the next year, why force it? Why, why stake your chance to win with a, with a right now winning team and Juan Soto's last year before free agency to what is a poor relationship. And so the decision was made that they're better off apart. You're right. It's going to make for some fascinating in division matchups when Bob Melvin uh, encounters the Padres again, as a member of the, of the giants and, and managing the giants. But I, I just think that we have reached a spot, Jim, where that relationship was not tenable. I think he's exactly the right guy. The Giants need Farhan Zaidi, knows him well from their time with the Oakland Athletics. So it's a really good fit on a lot of levels right now for Bob Melvin with the San Francisco Giants, who have a good team that need a little bit more gravitas, I believe, in that position. They'll get it with Bob Melvin, and I would expect the Padres will hire from within, whether it's Mike Schilt or Ryan Flaherty, um, and they'll be a good ball club, too. It's going to make the National League West next season with, of course, the reigning NL champs in Arizona and the Dodgers as well. Jim, you got a lot of great storylines right now in the National League West coming up next season. Can't wait. Can't wait. I agree with you. I think that Bob Melvin is a great manager. I think that's a great landing spot for him. And I think you're right, John. I think there are qualified candidates within. I didn't expect that thing to blow apart the way it did, but I agree with you as to why it did. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. So John, let me say this. I have immense respect and admiration for you. However, you and I, when we do this, we generally do it during the Daily Show. We always have amazing conversations, but we never get to go a little bit deeper. Before I let you go, I would love to do this. I would love to spend a few minutes on your journey. For instance, college is not for everybody. I understand that. Now, that said, I've always had people with great academic backgrounds work on this program. Not because I set out to do it. It just kind of worked out that way. But I've had multiple Ivies. I've had multiple Notre Dame grads. I've had a Stanford grad, multiple University of California grads, UC Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, UCLA. Young Jack Savage on our staff right now. He's got a master's degree from Northwestern. I take great pride in this show having that kind of academic history. However, However, I have not encountered many people in sports media who went to Harvard like you did. The reason I set it up like that, I need to know, how did your years in Cambridge align with what you are doing today? Jim, it's a great question. Uh, a few things come to mind. I think number one, I would like to say that my, my passion for sports is still and has always been 
animate animated by my curiosity for people. I love conversations with people about their journeys, about what matters to them. I'm much more of a storytelling journalist than I am a numbers focused one. I, I realize there's a place for numbers and certainly I learned to analyze numbers a bit when I was at Harvard, but far more importantly, I came from a town in Michigan that is about a square mile, Essexville, Michigan. It's on the east side of Bay City. I love my hometown. And I so I came from this small town in the Midwest with about 3,000 people in it. And then I moved to Cambridge and go to Harvard. So these are two very different worlds. And I would like to think that both have shaped me. And when I went to Harvard, I encountered a diversity of experience, a diversity of background that far surpassed what I had encountered where I grew up. And so I was just fascinated by that. My roommates, the people I met, their stories, and, and it was just a, a nonstop uh, a nonstop stimuli of, of just amazing stories and amazing people. And I was around, Jim. I was not one of them, but I was around some of the most talented people my age in the world. And I thought to myself, what an awesome opportunity. I've got this front row seat, this ticket to ask all these really interesting people about their stories. You know, one of my really dear friends, his name is Paul Niehaus. He, he's the co-founder of, of Give Directly, which it works in microfinance to help people in the, in the developing world and helps them access clean water, does stuff that far surpasses anything I will ever do on my best day. But I learned a ton from Paul. I learned a ton from my from my roommate, one of my dearest friends, Kofi Kumi, who's first generation African-American immigrant in his story. So I, I just I think about those people, Jim. And and so I in my world now, I try to find these the best the best people in what we do now in sports, the best hitter. How cool is it? I could ask Bryce Harper about what he does. So so my point is my buddies in, in college are the Bryce Harpers of what they do. And, and so I, I just think that those, that curiosity is what's animated me. Uh, I'm blessed to still be doing this. Uh, and I, I'd like to think that I've just never lost that curiosity about what each game means, what each day means, and what puts these extraordinary people on these fields of play to do something that is, that is objectively really difficult. We talked about Harper hitting a fastball uh, and, and the millimeters that it, that it takes they're the best at what they do, Jim. And so I I just still look at it like I can't believe I'm so lucky to be around the best at what they do. That's It's been that way since college. I think, John, one of the reasons why you are so interesting and you are so interesting to me is that you are so interested. And I echo that. Like, I did not go to Harvard, although I went to the Harvard of the West Coast, UC Santa Barbara. But, you know, the, the, all, all bad jokes aside— the fact of the matter is, when I left college, I had the same feelings you did. And it was not that, oh, man, am I going to miss the parties? Oh, man, am I going to miss all of that socialization? Which I did, but my thought was, man, I was always surrounded by really bright people, really motivated people, really energetic people, people that were smarter than me, people that were really ambitious. I really missed that. And then when I got out in the workforce, before I was in this business, I didn't have a lot of that. I found that that's what I missed most of all. Let me ask you this before you go. So... You get into the business, you had a meeting with the acclaimed baseball journalist, Ken Rosenthal, at the 05 general manager's meeting, and that led to an important breakthrough in your career. What was it? 
Well, eventually, Jim, and I appreciate the question. Kenny's the the greatest in our industry, and and he he was able to recommend me and really show me the path to be able to be a a, a baseball insider. Eventually, I think he saw in me the the spark that I have for the game and and for storytelling and for people and for reporting. And and I'm so lucky that he's been my mentor in this in this journey for going on 20 years to where I've always been able to learn from him, whether it's Southern reporting at a, at a broadcast like he does for Fox uh, and I do now for MLB network or, or how you have your principles in terms of breaking a story, reporting a story, dealing with sources. And so I think Ken saw at that time that I cared about our profession and what we do as much as he does. And so a few years later uh, came the time where FoxSports.com was going to add a second national baseball writer, and he recommended me, and it changed my life. I, I was able to go from covering the Tigers for the free press, which I loved because it was my home state and, and a really interesting team at the time, and being around Verlander and Cabrera uh, still early in their careers and covering the great Jim Leland, some amazing memories. But I think it was also time for a new challenge for me, and I was able to keep living in Michigan while I do it. And so uh, Ken just recommended me, and and I, I go back to uh, the impact of great mentors. And Ken's mentorship, John Lowe, who's now in the Hall of Fame, was my uh, my first baseball writing mentor at the Free Press. And so I think I think Jim, the way that you do, the way you always look for ways to 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 pay it forward and to mentor younger people and and to create a a space for people to grow. Uh, it's I feel the same responsibility now because. Ken Rosenthal and John Lowe did the same thing for me and, and they just created opportunities and the space for me to grow. And, and importantly to make mistakes and learn from it because no one arrives to this job perfect. And we make mistakes every day in what we do. And I I've been lucky, whether it's Ken, whether it's John Lowe, I, I think about the late Pedro Gomez all the time because Pedro was the first journalist in in this country really to encourage me that even though I'm not a native Spanish speaker to try and and to do it on the air and put myself out there and so every time I I interview a player and and work on a translation in Spanish invariably I I will make a mistake or fumble a subjunctive tense here and there but the point is I'm doing it and I do it because Pedro inspired me to do it and I think of his memory and his example all the time so it's it's a matter of having great mentors and and people like you who have given me opportunities Jim over the years and and uh, I just feel really blessed to still be still be talking about the stuff that animated me all those years ago when I first got into this U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions do apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. You know, John, you always make it better. I always love talking to you because you always make it better. One last stop because you mentioned the Detroit Free Press. I'm going to tell you what triggers for me when I think about that newspaper and the first thing that comes to my mind the late Drew Sharp. Man, I love yes. Drew. What a great guy. What a great guy. He used to come on our daily TV show, loved his energy, loved his passion. He was fearless. He was fair. That, to me, was a really, really good journalist. Great journalist, great friend. I'm so glad you mentioned Drew. Uh, we lost him seven years ago this month. And uh, what a great laugh. 
You, you remember that? Just oh, the yeah. Drew Sharp's laugh. Love one of it. the all-time great laughs that you could just hear. And you'd sit next to him in the press box, and, and he would see something, and he'd turn to you. And and uh, one of our other colleagues would say, that the, only, uh, <laughs> the, the only thing that a, a Detroit coach – would fear more than than a than a loss unfolding in front of him would be to glance up to the press box and see the great Drew Sharp getting his fingers ready to write that column. <laughs> and and because you're right, Drew wrote without fear. And yet I think there was this respect from the coaches and players because they all they all loved him and appreciated that laugh that we're talking about. He's he's one of the rare people who could who could rip the player and then laugh with the player the next day because he did it from such a genuine place. So I, I'm glad you mentioned Drew. Uh, we, I always think about him this time of year uh, and certainly what he'd be writing about the Lions right now or Michigan football, Michigan State football. No shortage of topics uh, for, for oh, Drew man. to write about uh, up up in the sky right now, Jim. I'm thinking of him right now and all, all the great things he could write right now. So uh, that, uh, thanks for mentioning the great Drew Sharp. Thank no, you, Jim. I so appreciate your thoughts. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was just going to agree with you, John. It's so true. Can you imagine what Drew would be doing right now, given Michigan State and Michigan and the lines and everything else? And you just nailed it. He, he was one of those guys where he had that great laugh and he was so happy and so upbeat. But at the same time, I don't want to say there was a trigger or a switch, but this was not somebody to be fooled with either. Like, Drew Drew had a hammer and was not afraid to swing it, but he was fair. He was always fair, and you're right. He'd show up the next day, and he'd be right there. And like, yeah, let's talk about it. I said it, but he was always great. John, I, I could do this for hours. This is the busiest time of year, arguably. Again, I want to reiterate, you made this work for us. You moved around so we could talk and preview the World Series. I have such great respect for you and your time, and I can't thank you enough for this long-form conversation. One of my favorites that we've ever had. Thank you very much, John. It was absolutely awesome. Jim, you're the greatest. I, I always enjoy our conversations. It's fun to, to stretch our legs a bit, have a little longer conversation, too. So please uh, please reach out anytime. Uh, you've got a great team there. I, I love listening to your show and, and watching it. You're, just, you're, you're amazing. So thanks for all, all the conversations over the years, and look forward to the next one. I could talk about how impressive this guy is, but do I really need to? Could it be any more obvious? I absolutely love picking John's brain, especially at this time of year, but also at any time of the year, because there's nothing that he's not exceptional with or on. And he just proved it once again, going long form and stretching out. So my enormous thanks to John Morosi. There really is nobody like this dude. And by the way, he's with MLB Network, but so many other organizations and platforms as well. Check him out on Twitter slash The X and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Now that kind of conversation is why I still get fired up for the original side hustle, even after pumping out 286 episodes. By the way, every last one of them still holds up. It's totally free to go back and check any of them out. Or you could just find and smash that subscribe button. That way you'll be notified anytime a new episode does drop. So if you haven't subscribed yet, it would be great if you could do so. Please consider that. And I will catch you next week right here for the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 287. See you then.